So our God is the most fascinating being, the most fascinating force in reality. One of the reasons he's so fascinating is because of the tensions that we find within him. Um, Many of you are visiting and you haven't been with us. We've been working through one of the most difficult chapters of the Bible for almost two months, Romans chapter 9. And we've been wrestling with this tension, the fact that our God is sovereign and yet he's given us freedom. We have another tension that we're going to look at today as we prepare for communion together. And that's the fact that our Lord, our Savior Jesus, who is the, the exact representation, the image of the invisible God, he is both like a lamb and he is our Lord. He is lamb-like and Lord-like at the same time. Now lambs, I brought this lamb. This is Lillian's, my little girl. This is her lamb. Lambs are docile. They are humble. And biblically, they are often sacrificial. They're not threatening. You don't see signs outside of people's houses that say, beware of lamb. (laughs) And Jesus is the lamb. Yet at the same time, he is the Lord. Lords are powerful. Lords are authoritative. Lords have ownership. Lords are dangerous. These two, this tension exists within our Lord Jesus. And we see it very plainly in the book of Matthew, chapter 21. If you would flip there with me, we'll read this in just a moment. As you're flipping to the book of Matthew, chapter 21... Here's the big idea of our our meditation today before we partake in the Lord's Supper. Since Jesus is both the Lamb and the Lord, like two sides of a coin, you have to accept him or reject him as both. And I suspect that many of us have an imbalance. We gravitate toward the Lambness of Jesus and reject the Lordship of Jesus, or we gravitate toward the Lordship of Jesus and reject the Lambness of Jesus. So what we're after is a balance of both, because an imbalance in how we understand Jesus directly relates to an imbalance in our lives, a lot of destruction in our lives, a a huge misunderstanding of our God, a huge misunderstanding of how to live. So that's what we're after this morning in Matthew chapter 21. And if you would, as just a simple expression of honor for God's word, if you would stand as we read Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Matthew 21, beginning at verse 1. Now when they, the disciples and Jesus, drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him 
and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Father, please, please reveal yourself to us in your word. Please give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Please help me to serve your people really well. Um, Make this plain to us and help us to understand and accept Jesus as both the Lamb and the Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So we see in this passage the Lamb qualities and the Lord qualities of our Lord Jesus. Let's look at the Lamb qualities first. Well, first, just the obvious, he came into Jerusalem riding on a little donkey. Now, this was an animal fit for a child to ride on. This would be like President Obama riding into Charlotte for the Democratic National Convention on one of those little huffy street bikes that you see the grown men riding around, that you sit really low. This is something like what this would have been like. He was riding on a little donkey, very humble. And that's what was prophesied in verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So we see his humility here. More importantly, we see that he enters during the Passover as the Passover lamb. Now, just a real brief bit of historical work to make sure we understand this. It says, Now when they drew near, in verse 1, to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. They're they're working their way into Jerusalem. And as they were working their way in, they would have been crowded in with a lot of other pilgrims coming to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. Now, the Passover was their annual remembrance of what happened way back when God delivered them from Egypt. Okay, so go back with me to when God delivered the Jewish people from Egypt. You can visualize this well if you've seen the Ten Commandments. Okay? I don't know if it looked exactly like that, but at least you can get a visual in your mind. So Israel had been enslaved for 400-ish years in Egypt. And God sent Moses to say, let my people go. Moses went and told Pharaoh, let these people go. Pharaoh said, "Uh uh-uh. He said, yeah, huh, you're gonna, because God's gonna plague you. And he said, "Uh uh-uh, no, I'm not. And then it went that way for ten plagues. All these plagues. And in the 10th one, do you remember what the 10th plague was? It was the worst of all the plagues. Yes, the death of the firstborn in every household. So the angel of death was going to pass over Egypt and kill all the firstborn in all the houses. Except for the houses in which they painted the blood of lambs over their door frames. Which is strange. It's a strange command. I'm going to kill all the firstborn in your houses... Unless you kill a lamb, had to be a lamb, and paint the blood of that lamb over your doorpost. If you do that, then I'll pass over your house. Judgment would pass over those houses that were covered by the blood of the lamb. Hence, Passover. So they would celebrate this every year. This is where they were headed. And Jesus enters Jerusalem. No one understood it yet but him. He enters Jerusalem during the Passover as the Passover lamb, capital L, Passover lamb. 
And we're going to revisit that in a minute, but let's look at some of his Lord qualities in this passage first. Did you notice he commands his followers and they just obey? He says in verse 2, Go into the village in front of you and immediately you'll find a donkey. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. He commands his followers obey. There's authority here. Now, if after the service, after our services, we always mingle and, and talk and shake hands and hug. And imagine after the service, you talking to me and I say, hey, I need you to go down to the Hess station on the corner. There's probably a geo tracker parked there or something. They're getting gas. Get the guy's keys, take his geo tracker and bring it to me. How would you respond to me giving you that command? I'm curious if anyone would go. You'd laugh. You're like, oh, Matt's trying to, trying and failing at being funny again. Another one of his jokes that I don't get. You wouldn't just go and do it. But here in this case, they just went and they just did it. Jesus commands and his followers obey. He exercises absolute ownership rights over his disciples and over this donkey and this colt. That's what Lord means if you look it up in the dictionary. One exercising absolute ownership rights. That's his donkey. That's his colt. That hypothetical geotracker is his. These cars out in the parking lot, those are his cars. Those clothes you're wearing, those are his clothes. He is the Lord. When what we're going to meditate on Friday, when he went to the cross and they nailed him to it, those were his nails. That lumber was his. He is the Lord. He has absolute ownership rights over you and everything you have. And you might say some of you uh, really sharp historians might say, wait a minute, there was a practice in, in uh, Israel where an important teacher could temporarily take somebody's donkey to help carry their load. He's not necessarily saying he's the Lord. Any prominent teacher could have done this. But he says, if they question you, don't say he's an important teacher. Let him have these, this donkey. He says, the Lord needs them. He identifies himself as the Lord. And the last one I want you to notice before we move forward. He fulfills the ancient prophecies of the coming king. Look back at verse 5 again. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. He's the Lord. He's the king. That's how he's presented in Scripture. You know, when he's arrested and he's on trial before Pilate, Pilate's a very important Roman official, very, had a lot of authority. He was a really important man. He says, why have you brought this humble-looking guy to me? And they say, he claims to be a king. And Pilate leans forward and looks at him, and he says, are you? He doesn't say, is that true? Did you say you were a king? He says, are you? Something about this humble-looking Jewish man must have appeared so royal and so regal that Pilate had second thoughts. Maybe this man is a king. I'm reading a book right now. It's a really good book. 
It's called The Robe. Recommend it. Um, it follows the story of the Roman soldier who won Jesus' robe while gambling. Uh, do you remember that? At the crucifixion, they cast lots and somebody gets his robe. It follows the story of the soldier that won the robe, and he's trying to figure out who is this man. So he goes to Jerusalem and researches and tries to figure out who Jesus is. And at one point, his slave, his name's Demetrius, is caught up in this huge crowd of people. He can't figure out what they're so excited about. But they're in Jerusalem, and there's this massive crowd of people. And they're screaming, and they're shouting, and he can't make it out. He doesn't speak their language, but they're very excited. And he sees that at the middle of it, there's a man riding on a donkey. And he figures, this must be what all the hubbub is about. And he's tall, so he gets to where he can see, and he looks over their heads, and he sees this man. And he's this Jewish carpenter riding on a donkey. And a shorter person beside him says, can you see him? Does he look like a king? Maybe this is our Messiah. Does he look like a king? And Demetrius says, no, he's not a king. He's something more important than a king. See, this is how the Bible presents Jesus. He's the lamb and he's the Lord, the king of kings. But they misunderstood, like I mentioned in the beginning of the service. The people in that crowd did not understand. Let's read verses 6 through 11 to see their misunderstanding. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. He brought the donkey and colt and put on them their cloaks. They brought the donkey and colt, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, this whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth's, Nazareth of Galilee. So they suspected that he might be their salvation. But you read in one of the other gospels that while they're shouting this, Jesus is sad. He's weeping. And he's weeping because he knew that these very same people would in only a few short days be shouting and chanting, crucify him. They misunderstood who he was. They thought he was going to come and overtake Rome with military might. And they misunderstood. And I point that out because the question I want us to wrestle with as we transition into communion, do we understand? I mean, really, think, think with clear minds. I know Easter is it's big, it's celebratory, it's fun. We see our family, we put on our bright colored clothes, the kids get to hunt for Easter eggs, and it's... It's a good time, and the, the emotion, the, the great swelling music can make us emotional. And we can just skip right through Easter, riding on the celebration of it without seriously thinking about it. So think clearly with me for a minute. Do we, do you, understand and accept Jesus really? This is an especially dangerous time of year to move through it without actually seeing Jesus for who he is. Do you understand that Jesus was the lamb? Do you understand him as lamb? You know, when John the Baptist was baptizing people and Jesus came walking up, he looked up and he said, look, it's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
I want you to really think, do you understand and accept Jesus as the lamb? What it means, very plainly, what it means that Jesus is the lamb for you, if you accept it, is that because of him and his blood, God's judgment passes over you like it passed over those homes way back in Exodus. This means that your sin, your shame, those things that you are just mortified that you were a part of, those regrets, those things you've done, those things you've said that you would walk out of here and never come back if they were projected up on the wall right there. God knows about all those things. But if you're sheltered under the blood of the Lamb, He doesn't see those things. He sees His Son. He sees His Son's perfection. Like in the prodigal son story, you know, the son goes to his dad. He says, Dad, you're wealthy. I would rather if you were just dead so I could go ahead and get my inheritance. Will you just give it to me so I can go? And the dad gives him his inheritance. And the prodigal son goes out and he blows it on stupid things and sinful living. And then he comes back dirty and tattered and starving. And the father comes out to him. And what does he say? He doesn't say, look at you. What is wrong with you? What have you been doing? Where's my money? He doesn't come out and see the sin. He comes out and sees his son. That's what we have in Jesus. That's what it means to know Jesus as your lamb. It means to know and to rest in and to feel 100% confident that when God looks at you, he's not taking account of your sin. He doesn't see your sin. He sees his son. He sees that perfection. You're in. Do you understand it that way? Do you understand the lamb? Many nights when I put my kids in bed, we have a whole ritual. It seems to just get longer and longer. Now it even includes a board game. <laughs> it's, it's bath if they need it, you know, every two, three weeks. Get in your pajamas, brush your teeth. We play our, they call it the night game, if they've been good. Uh, Elias is all hung up on Spongebob Yahtzee Jr. So we've been playing that every night for <laughs> months. Lillian beats us all every single time. I don't understand it. She's my youngest. She's three. Um, so bath, pajamas, teeth, game. Then we get them in their beds and it's a uh, story or a book. We read with them, sing a song, say a prayer. It's like a 10-step process. But at the end of it, at the end of it, you know, many nights, you know, I'll look at them and I'll say, Elias, Lillian, I love you. And often I'll throw in, I love you all the time. I love you when you're good, when you're obeying, and I love you when you're bad and you're disobeying. My love doesn't change. I love you maximum all the time because you're my son. You're my daughter. That's what Jesus bought for us as the lamb. God loves you if you're in Christ. He just loves you. He knows what you did last night. He knows what you did last summer. He knows what you said. And he loves you maximum all the time. He loves you when you're good. He loves you when you're bad because you're covered in Jesus. That's what it means to understand and accept Jesus as the lamb. But there's a flip side to this coin too. Do you understand and accept Jesus as the Lord? This means that he has authority 
over you. This means that he has absolute authority over you. Absolute ownership rights over you and everything that you have. It means that what he has to say, and this whole book is about him, he taught us. Understanding and accepting him as Lord means that everything he has to say in here applies to you. What he says about money trumps what you think about money. What he says about forgiving, praying for your enemies, turning the other cheeks, the other cheeks, the other cheek, that applies to you. However many cheeks you have, turn them all. What he says about lust and adultery applies to you. What he says about murder and hatred applies to you. That this book is full of wisdom and guidance and counsel and commands for your life that we must be all about hearing and listening to, studying, trying to understand and obey and submitting to. Do you understand Jesus this way? You know, early on, Christians were known as the way. So if they met you, they wouldn't say, hey, do you go to Doolin's Grove? You've got that Doolin's Grove sheen to you, I can tell. They would say, hey, are you a member of the way? Are you part of the way? And they knew what they were talking about because they were identified by the way they lived. Following Jesus had real impact on the practical nitty-gritty details of the way they lived, the way they did business. In a society where people cheated and lied and scammed their way to the top, the Christians weren't allowed to do that because their Lord told them otherwise. So are you part of the way? Do you understand Jesus as Lord? Now, I mentioned real briefly here. I mentioned that to have an imbalanced view of Jesus, more heavily weighing down on the lamb aspect of him and rejecting the Lord or vice versa, results in an imbalanced and screwed up life. I wonder if some of us are experiencing the effects of that. This is a good chance as we take communion to reflect on our relationship with Jesus. So do you Accept him as the lamb, but reject him as the Lord. Do you accept all these gifts? Man, this is great. Jesus, you did it all for me. I love you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Thank you. And then you walk out of here. Your Bible stays in the back of your car. You don't care at all what he has said about your life. You love that he's your lamb. You would answer the question right if I said, if you were to die today... And I know we're Advent Christian, but let's just say for the sake of the popular evangelistic tool, if you were to die today and stand before your Lord and he says, why should I let you into heaven? You would answer right. And you would say, because of Jesus, not because of me. You've got the lamb part, but have you rejected the Lord part? And make no mistake, uh, apathy about what the Lord is saying to you is rejection of the Lord. The only thing that is acceptance is to embrace this as for you. What we get when a lot of people love the lamb part of Jesus but not the Lord part is a lot of nominal Christians, just by name only. We get a lot of full pews, but very little gospel work being done. Do you accept the Lord but reject the lamb? Do you love the rules, the do's and don'ts? And feel pretty darn good at them. 
But in the end, you're relying on your morality and your goodness to be okay with God. That is exhausting. Is that you? Are you working hard? You're involved in a billion church things. You're trying to be good all the time, hoping that God will see your good stuff and it will outweigh your bad stuff. That's not how it works. Any bad stuff trumps all good stuff because God is holy and he's perfect. What we get with a lot of people that accept the Lord and reject the Lamb is a lot of uh, acting, a lot of deception, you know, presenting ourselves as, I followed the Lord. We don't feel free to be open and genuine and honest about our struggles. We don't confess sin. We don't repent. I want us to be balanced disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. I want us to embrace what he's done for us as the lamb and to rest, just rest fully in what he's already done. To be freed from any need for pretense, to just be humbly honest about who we are. We're just sinners. We're screwed up people, sinners under the blood of the lamb. Who have been saved from that sin to obey and follow Jesus. I want us to be resting in Christ and passionately engaged in the mission of Christ at the same time. That's abundant life. So as we turn to the communion table, be thinking about these things. Embrace Jesus in his fullness. Let's pray, and then I'll invite the deacons to come forward, and we'll observe communion together. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you again. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is the Lamb and the Lord. Help us to understand who he is. Help us to respond rightly. Search our hearts now. We'll have plenty of quiet time as we pass the elements. Reveal to us where we stand here. Reveal sin to us that we need to repent of and and confess and give over to you and be honest about and change. Reveal to us the fullness of what he's done for us in the gospel. And help us to see clearly how to follow him as our Lord. And I trust you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.